This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper. Before we get to the show, I want to let you know we've been busy here at Curious Minnesota answering your great questions. We've written online recently about the oldest living Minnesotan, the history of tornado sirens, the suburban streetcar network, and government-sponsored hemp farms. You can read all those stories at startribune.com curious. And if there are any stories in the Curious Minnesota archive that you would like to see featured on this podcast, please shoot me a note at at curious at startribune.com. We're going to be talking about the Cold War here on the podcast starting today and continuing into the next episode. Today we'll be talking about nuclear missile sites that were installed in rural areas around the Twin Cities, ready to ward off an attack by Soviet bombers. For the next episode, we will be talking about how modern-day tornado siren tests began as a test of air raid sirens in the 1950s when government officials thought people could outrun a Soviet atomic bomb with enough warning. If you have memories of air raid sirens in the Twin Cities or other parts of the Civil Defense Network, email us at curious at startribune.com and we'd love to feature you in the next episode. Okay, back to those missile sites. This question came from reader Will Niskanen, who, as you will hear later in the show, is quite familiar with these sites and even did some exploration of them many years ago. Take it away, Will. I grew up on a farm in Carver County. My parents started married life up by Waconia and I remember him telling telling me when I was a kid that they toured this Nike missile site shortly after it opened. This would be probably 1962, 64, something like that. And I remembered as a kid, I always loved rockets and I followed the space program. What stirred my imagination is that there's this contrast between the quiet farmland with cows and barns and classic rural landscape. But in the middle of this are these super high-tech, militarized, barbed wire fence missile sites. And it just blows me away, that contrast, that it's not just Air Force bases and Cape Canaveral and missiles there. Just a few miles away from our farm is this high-tech missile site. So that's always fascinated me. We'll be chatting today with Michelle Griffith, who wrote this story for us as an intern in April 2020. She now works at the Fargo Forum newspaper. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for joining us today. So to understand this issue, we've got to go back to the late 1940s. What was happening then that really sort of brought about a lot of this discussion of civil defense? So 1945, the U.S. drops the first atomic bomb on Hiroshima, Japan, effectively ending World War II. And at the time, we kind of had a monopoly on the atomic nuclear science behind the atomic bomb. And so we kind of felt safe in that. But then in 1949, the Soviet Union detonated its first atomic bomb. And that kind of erupted a whole panic among American citizens. And at the time, I believe they thought that there is a possibility now that the Soviet Union can possibly be a threat thousands of miles away from the U.S. So I believe the federal government thought that we need to protect our cities and protect our citizens. So in the Twin Cities specifically, four missile sites were erected around the Twin Cities strategically to surround the, I believe it was about 1 million citizens at the time in the 1950s and, you know, kind of send up a nuclear warhead and bring down any fleets that might have been hovering over the city at the time. So I think that's kind of where America and the federal government was at right. at the time. 
And we should just note that this was sort of one aspect of civil defense, which covered lots of different things. But back to these missiles. So they choose these sites around the Twin Cities. These are largely rural areas, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. I see they're called Nike Hercules missiles. So tell us a little bit about Nike Hercules missiles that were stored around the Twin Cities. So I guess first, there were four sites around the Twin Cities. One of them was in Watertown, and then another in Farmington, East Bethel, and then Roberts, Wisconsin. So kind of just making a perimeter around the Twin Cities. And the nuclear missiles themselves, the Nike Hercules missiles, were about 40 feet long and then had a nuclear warhead attached to the top. Which just we should know was twice as powerful as the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Right. That's right. So what was the significance of having these be atomic missiles versus more traditional missiles? Yeah, so the Minneapolis Tribune actually wrote about this in 1957, and they said, quote, significance of this is that atomic missiles can clean out the skies all around them, even if they make far from a hit. They would have a far better chance of meeting and destroying any raiders long distances from us. Okay, so the idea is that basically the missile would go up into the air, it wouldn't really have to directly hit one of these airplanes or bombers that's coming toward the Twin Cities, but it could detonate and still alleviate the threat. Yes. Got it. So when was construction on these things complete? Construction ended in 1959. And for about 10 years, the government held nuclear missiles at the sites. And then in 1971, all the sites were decommissioned. So they took the nukes out of the sites. Nowadays, they are still there and they're all privately owned and they all kind of have a you know barbed wire fence surrounding them kind of, you know, deterring urban explorers from going into the sites. Well, explain a little bit about what this site might look like. I mean, obviously it's closed up now, but what did it entail? Because these are sort of in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So a lot of it was mostly underground. So I believe they're about a couple levels deep and they stored the warheads down below. And then they also had elevators where you could lift or lower the missile. And then there was soldiers regularly stationed at the site to upkeep the missiles and the site itself. So yeah, at the time when they were in commission, they, I think, were pretty active sites to be at. And people would have seen these missiles at some pretty widely attended events, right? Yeah, so there were even a couple of missiles displayed at the Minnesota State Fair and then at local parades as well. You know, they kind of (laughs) just erected them on a float and had people see them. And then um, today in St. Bonifacius at a park, there was a gentleman who bought one of the missiles himself privately and he decided to paint it and erect it at a park. So if you go there today, you can see it. I believe it's pretty big just from looking at the pictures. Okay. And so just bringing us to the present day, these sites are still polluted, right? But not with nuclear waste? Yeah, that's right. So there are pollutants there, I believe mostly just from the missile program itself. So I think in some cases there might be traces of lead or other things that might be harmful to people. So a couple years ago, representative Dean Phillips proposed an amendment to the federal defense bill to allocate $1 million to help clean up these sites, specifically, you know, get rid of those pollutants and then kind of all like the weeds and brambles that are also on the site as well. So we love hearing from readers here at the Star Tribune and especially here at Curious Minnesota. Tell me, what was the reaction to this story that you wrote? 
Yeah. So a lot of people message me and I, I've only been a journal, official journalist for a couple of years, but this is by far the story I've gotten the most feedback from. So people message me and send me email saying that when they were kids, they remember seeing soldiers in their town and learning about the, the sites in school and, and going to these parades and seeing the missiles and kind of just being really proud of the, you know, maybe nuclear power that Minnesota once had. And, you know, the fact that the government was willing to go to these steps to protect it citizens. And people were very eager to reach out. And even on the story, there was a comment from a former sergeant who said that he was stationed at the St. Bonifacius site for three years. And he kind of described in his comment, the missile going up and down on the elevator, and then the missiles themselves were not made for physical contact or anything. So yeah, he kind of, you know, confirmed everything we knew about the missiles and the sites itself. But it's really cool to, you know, hear from these readers and people who actually experienced it themselves firsthand. Yeah. I mean, he said the the resulting blast effect from a nuclear warhead could take out huge numbers of planes, Yes, uh, which sounds like quite an event. So, well, thank you so much, Michelle. This is some great context on something that I was not very well aware of. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Before we close out, I want to share a little bit more from our question asker, Will Niskanen, who visited one of these missile sites in the mid-1990s. I had the fun adventure years ago to visit one of the sites. One of particular interest was in Carver County, west of the Twin Cities, near a town called St. Bonifacius. Now it's probably all destroyed, but at the time it was pretty much abandoned. I remember climbing through a hole in the fence, sneaking around and finding what basically it looks like a big cellar door, a big trap door. And there are a series of steps go down about two stories below the surface. And voila, you see what looks like a big parking garage. I, I snuck around with a flashlight. It was really interesting to close my eyes and just look around and imagine how this was once a very serious place. You know, there was no way a regular person could see this place because it was in incredibly high security. Well, you need to understand that these Nike missiles were like this last-ditch effort because hopefully by then interceptors from Duluth and further north would have took care of them. But if they got finally got this far, they had this diabolical notion that it's better to explode an atomic bomb and get them in the air rather than having them drop atomic bombs on Twin Cities, you know? Remember that we want to hear your questions and any feedback you have about the show. On the next episode, we're going to be talking about civil defense and air raid sirens. So I want your memories, if you have them. Please record a voice memo on your phone and email it to curious at startribune.com. A big thanks to listener Andy Knight, who sent us this recording about his visit to the headwaters of the Mississippi River, the topic of our last episode. I was probably around five or six years old, and we were on a family vacation to northern Minnesota. The day before we visited the headwaters, we were in Bemidji, and there is a theme park there. It's the theme park with Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox, so people might know it. At the time, there was a boat ride there, and as a very curious Minnesotan little boy, I remember wanting to really touch the water of this boat ride for some reason. That resulted in me kind of cantilevering over the sidewall of this boat ride, and it was a bit of a fiasco. I remember having to be pulled out, and my mom was not real happy with me at that moment. The next day, we took the short trip up to the headwaters of the Mississippi River at Lake Itasca, and I vividly remember 
the rock bridge that is there today still. And I was playing around at this rock bridge, kind of just getting my feet wet. Then in an instant, I took a tumble and I was fully in the water at that point. I don't remember if I was on the Mississippi River side of the rock bridge or the Lake Itasca side, but I do remember my mother was less angry with me than the day before. So I guess I could say it's a pretty good place to fall in the water. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.